Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hey, everybody. This is Joe Lynch with the Logistics of Logistics podcast, and I have a good buddy of mine today on the podcast, Steve Ferrara, and Steve's going to talk about the $5 billion overcharge. Steve, welcome. Joe, it's a pleasure to be here today. This is a great topic, and you're a great guest. I'm looking forward to this. It's something I always kind of knew, a looming problem. And when we first met, I thought, oh, this is the guy who solves this problem. So you're the perfect guy to talk to about the $5 billion overcharge. So tell my audience, what is the $5 billion overcharge? Well, Joe, that's a really great intro. I think the $5 billion overcharge is uh, something that my 16 Fortune 100 companies have seen proliferate positively into the bank account. And the $5 billion overcharge has to do with the fact that ocean freight is a very, very specifically difficult area to pre-audit and post-audit. And I would say most companies lose 1% to 2% of their ocean spend as a result of not having proper audit controls. That's the $5 billion problem. Yikes, yikes. We'll get into that. So before we'll get into more detail about that in a minute, but that is a big number. First off, Steve, introduce yourself, introduce your company and where you're at. Sure. Well, again, I'm Steve Ferreira, CEO of Ocean Audit. I'm a solopreneur, which basically means that I run everything myself. I have some virtual assistants around the world. But Ocean Audit was founded about 30 years ago. I come from the ocean steamship industry myself, having held senior positions in Taiwan and Hong Kong. And I've been running ocean freight recovery auditing services for the past, as I said, 30 years. And I'm a 2X entrepreneur, having sold my first uh, company back in 97 to a NASDAQ 500 firm. Yikes. Now tell us, how'd you end up in this business? Tell us, where'd you grow up? What'd you study? And how did you end up in this freight auditing business? (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm a Boston boy. Sometimes I still say, park the car. That does slip away sometimes. But I went to Providence College in Rhode Island, and I was a proud friar. Got a great basketball team there. One of the things that I found myself in was leadership positions, a student government, student congress. I was a four-year member of student government in my class, which taught me a lot about high-profile speeches, obviously understanding pain points and whatnot. So one of the things that was really interesting when I started to think about options for graduation were, obviously, I was a natural for sales and, and marketing because of my campaigning in student government. And so it's really interesting, Joe. Uh, Procter & Gamble, Colgate, Time Magazine, they all came to campus And I blew the interviews away. You know, there was no problem getting offers with all of them. As a matter of fact, I actually pioneered a very unusual interview technique. When Time Magazine came on campus, I decided to be very provocative. And during the interview, I brought in a copy of Time Magazine and Newsweek. And I proceeded to tear the Time Magazine in half. And I threw it on the floor. And then I told the Time representative how much better Newsweek was as a product. I got the job on the spot. The wow. thing about the wow. thing, the thing about the, the problem, though, is that all those jobs back in 1982, when I was uh, graduating, were all paying about the same, about sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars back in 1982. All of a sudden, this little steamship line, U.S. Lines, comes and says, "Hey, we'll pay you thirty-four thousand." I said, where do I sign up? And they had just an incredible bonus program. Ocean freight shipping was an old world industry trying to attract, you know, really uh, obviously IBM quality type salespeople. And U.S. Lines and Malcolm McLean, it was a perfect fit for me 
because of the strong training program and the ability to get involved in something international, which I, back in 1982, I had the foresight to understand how important international trade would be. So that's a little bit about how I got into the business. You know, it's interesting, uh, Steve, you're about the same age as I am, and we'll get into the uh, OK Boomer thing in a minute. <laughs> but one of the things I always thought was interesting is when we were going to school, we talked about global, we talked about, you know, the global economy, except at that time, there was not really a global economy. It was basically the U.S. did business with the U.S. and a little bit with Europe, a little bit with Asia, but it was not what we know today. And so you had some foresight knowing that, you know, this was going to continue to grow because we didn't see it. Right, right. Well, I, I always thought that, I always uh, remember what a professor of mine once told me. He goes, look at what you're wearing. Look at what's in your house. And if it's not 70% from China, then, you know, you're living in the wrong ecosphere. And he was right. I started to look around my environment, you know, where my shoes were coming from, where my school supplies were coming from, where my books were being printed. And lo and behold, you know, even though we didn't quite have computers in the internet back in 82, much of what was being made was starting to proliferate out of China. So uh, it was really interesting. Yeah. When probably in the early 80s, we would have been talking about Maine, Japan. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, Steve, the, today's topic, again, is the $5 billion overcharge. So let's get into that problem. Okay. So why is this overcharging in the ocean freight business such a problem? Joe, I, I think it encompasses a couple different themes. I think it's both on the part of the fact of that there's over 5,000 ocean vendors out there. And when I say vendors, I'm talking about direct ocean vendors like Hapag Lloyd and Mediterranean Shipping versus DHL or Expeditors or FedEx. So I count each one of those as an entity. And one of the things that's happened is that in ocean freight, there have not been a lot of new innovations over the last 20 years. Containers, cranes, double stack trains, more production, some freight forwarding software that's helping customers get quotations more quickly. But all in all, invoicing has fallen back into the 70s-esque type approach where invoicing in the ocean freight genre right now is no better than it was 20 years ago. And I think one of the problems is that CFOs and thought leaders and HR people have always put freight auditing on the job description of, let's say, a logistics director or a logistics manager. The reality is, is these professionals are so busy moving cargo in real time and getting the supply chain velocity just right for their own companies. They have very little time other than to maybe spot check the ocean freight invoices for accuracy. So really, you have kind of a perfect storm taking place that the billing practices on the vendor side are extremely challenging for most vendors, even somewhat semi-manual. And then also you have the problem on the beneficial cargo owner side of oversight and not having enough time to do a deep forensic dive into the accuracy. Steve, we talked a little bit about this while we were prepping. I'm not an ocean freight expert by any stretch, but I've seen my fair share of ocean audit, I mean, ocean bills, the invoice. And there are so many line items on those damn bills. The complexity is ridiculous. And when you look in there, there's a little abbreviation and it says $25, another little abbreviation, it says $80. You just kind of go, yeah, the hell with it. That's the end. And I think when you mentioned these guys who are responsible, maybe the logistics manager or 
somebody within the supply chain, I think most of the time they don't look at themselves as auditors internal in their company. They look and say, no, that's somebody else's job. That's either finance's job or the guy I paid to move the freight. Even if it's in their job description, maybe they look at their job description first thing in the morning. (laughs) Well, Joe, I've yet to meet a logistics manager or a logistics director. If I call a logistics manager or a logistics director and they're my first point of contact at a company, the first thing they're going to tell me And again, I totally get where they're coming from, is they're going to say the following. Steve, we pay every invoice the way we should based on the rate that we're given in our contract. Therefore, we have no errors. If I had a dime for every time I heard that, I would be obviously much more wealthy than I am. And I find that obviously they're saying that in a little bit of self-defense mechanism. And I think what they're really saying is, wait a minute, Steve, let me see if I have that straight. You want to audit my invoices to tell my boss how much overcharges we missed in my department. So I think it becomes a little bit of uh, line item type uh, selectivity in terms of where you're going in the organization at C-level or finance or supply chain or logistics. And you know, certainly you have some very strong logistics managers that want to improve, but by and large, this is a strong loss of working capital cash issue that really starts in the CFO's controller suite. Yep. So speaking of which, so for the average company that you work with, that you, that you run across, and you've got quite the experience, 30 plus years doing it, what is the overcharge you're seeing? I think in general, we're talking about 1% to 2% overcharge at each company. And what's most important about talking about that metric, Joe, is that what most companies and CFOs don't understand is that unlike small parcel or domestic truck or LTL, Ocean Freight has a federally mandated three-year statute of limitations. And so what that really means, that creates an incredible multiplier effect. So when listeners are hearing this, you know, if they think that, well, we're too small to have a recovery, but if you have a thousand or 1500 containers in one year, take that times three years, times your ocean spend, times 2%. And that's a good litmus test in terms of what you could potentially have as a refund. That adds up to a lot of money because there's no cheap ocean freight. (laughs) Well, we think it's a $5 billion global issue. That's thus the title of your podcast. And I think it's an issue that I have, fortunately, a 12 to 18 month lead in in terms of uh, initiating opportunities for clients. And, you know, I look at myself as a lot like you is that I think people would think, well, gee, Steve's one dimensional. He goes in and gets the money and, you know, he gets paid. But I think there's a lot of other ramifications for ocean freight recovery auditing that help clients with their metrics, with their dispute management, with basically setting a path for better cash retention. And certainly, I think that CFOs that I work with are certainly delighted to learn that they are receiving three, four, five, and even up to seven million in recoveries. Jeez, oh, Pete. So that's, you've seen that much money come back? I mean, I've had several cases. In 2019, I had two particular cases where one client had seven million and one client had four million. Oh my God, that's crazy money. So let's get into the a little more of, of the detail of what are some of the things that go wrong that causes these overcharge. When we spoke offline, you talked about the top five. I know right. there's probably a hundred, but <laughs> what are well, top five just to give my uh, audience a little bit of sense for it? Oh, absolutely, Joe. Actually, I think there's probably somewhere around about 40 of them that make a lot of sense. And again, a lot of them are regional. You know, if you're coming out of Italy, certainly you're going to have line item charges that are different than coming out of uh, Shanghai. But I think the top five in no particular order are really something I see a lot of. And 
I think this is where that comment about the logistics manager saying, hey, we pay every bill accurately. Because a lot of times they do. Let me explain. So you might have a scenario where the invoice comes in, it's $2,000, and the contract rate with the steamship line or the ocean vendor is $2,000. So you have no error, right? That bill is, is checked, it's paid, it's 100% in compliance with the contract rate, and there would be no refund. The problem that is, I'd say in 25, 30% of the time, that bill is going to come back to haunt the importer or exporter. And what I mean by that is maybe in three months or six months, let's say they get another invoice for that bill and it's a supplemental charge, a surcharge that was uh, neglected in the first go around. And let's say the surcharge is $25. However, the ocean vendor has a tendency to rebuild a complete quantum. In other words, the original 2000 plus the surcharge. So unless that client is really paying attention, they're ending up paying 2025 They already paid 2000 and there's no real balanced way for them to do a duplicate match because the invoice numbers are different. I think another top issue, in my humble opinion, is definitely something I call date cusp issues, C-U-S-P. And, you know, in ocean freight contracting, everything is date dependent on when cargo comes into a container yard, be it in Shanghai or Dublin or Melbourne or in Akron, Ohio. And so... If you have a ocean freight contract that, let's say on May 1st, let's say on April 30th is $2,200, on a May 1st, the new rate is $3,000, well, let's say all the containers came in on April 30th. So you should be eligible for the $2,200 rate instead of the $3,000 rate, even though the ship is departing after May 1st. So I've seen clients where there's been $10,000, $20,000, in refunds just on one or two invoices because of these date changes. The other issue is really a big one, and you brought it up earlier, is surcharges. I think that, you know, one of the things that I've evaluated is looking at the big freight forwarders is that you have each forwarder tends to be its own profit center, Joe, in terms of regional or per branch office. And the more surcharges tend to mean more profits, right? So handling fees, courier fees, many times these fees are not called for in the NVOCC service agreement or the contract rate between the forwarder and the cargo owner. So surcharges are really something that, unfortunately, it's a slippery slope, sometimes gets slipped in there. Now, you could say, is that malicious or is that just part of the semi-automated manual problematic issues with invoicing? I tend to think none of this is really you know, obvious. It's more a fundamental breakdown. The other issue that I talked about before was fuel, obviously, Fuel is a huge issue come June 1st. The average West Coast rate, East Coast rate out of China is going to drop between $100 to $300 because obviously bunker fuel prices have gone down quite a bit. Now, sometimes the ocean vendors do not do a good job in enumerating the reductions in fuel on invoices. So we see that all the time as well. And I think the last thing is that it's a phenomena that happens right now a lot because of uh, vessels being held back, or we call blank sailings, where sailings don't take place because the ocean vendors are trying to control an artificial capacity. But let's assume you have three containers on this week's vessel and you get the invoice right away. But let's say for some reason, only one of the containers made the vessel and you've got two more containers that didn't make the vessel. So they get rolled over to the next vessel and guess what? They get put on the next vessel's invoice as well. So there are a a myriad of invoice opportunity errors that for the layperson, they just can't keep up. We'll get right back to the podcast in just a moment. 
If you sell transportation or logistics services, the Logistics of Logistics can help you sell more. Our customized program will help you understand your sales personality, including your strengths and blind spots, get more sales leads, and improve your communication and salesmanship. We can also position you as a recognized industry expert and help you reach your target audience. To learn more, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com. And now, back to the show. So we talked earlier about how the guys of the supply chain guy or the freight guy doesn't audit. And you just went over five of these, and you said there's like 40 other categories to look at. I now know why the guys don't do they don't get into this because there's a lot of homework you have to do. You got to go back and say that date cusp thing. I got to go back and figure out when we shipped it and then when they received it. And then when it shipped out, that takes time. And I get why people aren't doing that. We all have fires to put out every day, not auditing to do. Well, it's funny, Joe, you know, one of the things that I mentioned to clients, you know, when I give them my solution is that, hey, you know, you guys can do this yourself. It's just a matter of taking all the three years of invoices, recreating all the dates, recreating all the historic changes. But, you know, when I see clients like I do at corporate locations where, you know, I might have 5,000 employees might be at one of my client locations, you know what, only maybe one person even fundamentally is somewhat aware of ocean freight. And even then, maybe on a scale of uh, one to 10, they understand it on a level of a three. So it's a very deep problem that most controllers, CFOs, CEOs, presidents are totally unaware of. And some of the industry solutions even make the problem even worse. So you talked about we're getting into the solution a little bit. So I can move this in-house. I can assign somebody and say, this is now your job. It actually is your job to do this. But they aren't exactly a supply chain person, and they aren't exactly a finance person. They've got to be in you know, almost a hybrid, right? Well, you know, the old days used to be where, you know, I remember auditing in May Department Store in St. Louis, and I was thinking it would be a huge recovery for me because I didn't feel that May had a good handle on it. I love the traffic guy that they had there. He's a good friend of mine. But I didn't think that, you know, beyond him, they had a good handle on it. Well, lo and behold, they employed somebody that did a mini calculation down to the penny of overcharges. And although this person may not have been fluent in Ocean, she was a good hybrid, at least in identifying the low-hanging fruit. And you wouldn't believe how much low-hanging fruit escapes even the best of the Fortune 100 type companies. Yeah. And Steve, as soon as you know, as a supplier, that you can be a little sloppy and maybe even a little, I suspect somebody even dishonest, or, you know, where you say, I don't think we're making the right margin on this, so we're going to add an extra fee. As soon as you know that nobody's checking your work, human nature seeps in. Well, Joe, it's funny you say that. I mean, I have a number of major Fortune 100 clients where some of the vendors may be obscure that haven't dealt with me before. And you wouldn't believe, you know, when I go back and I I very much, I don't push the envelope as an expert. I just make a gentle inquiry. Hey, this particular issue looks like it was uh, overpaid. And uh, they'll come back and the excuse will be, well, it was for special services, you know. And so they just try so hard, the ocean vendors, to escape having to part with the cash. The reality is, is that I think most beneficial cargo owners have to really be on the defensive because especially post COVID-19, the loss of working capital in ocean freight is astonishing. Steve, you're a good guy and I always like getting your phone call, but I got to think there's at least, at least a few companies that really, really don't like it when they see you calling. Well, I I've, uh, I make the joke that I went through a, a nice Cadillac. Now I've got a Lincoln, and the bulletproofing is working perfectly on both. 
All right, excellent. So besides bringing this in-house, what is another solution that shippers might employ to recover some of this money? Well, I think one of the biggest things that I see out there, and it's really one of the big red flags that I'm focusing on my OK Boomer series, three red flags in ocean shipping, pre-auditing. I want to talk a little bit about that because I think that some companies go to a CFO and say, hey, you know, forget about all these billing errors and lost working capital. As a pre-auditor, we'll identify all the errors and we'll make sure you pay the invoice right the first time around. It's very intoxicating to a CFO because for a transactional basis, these pre-auditors will look at the invoices, be it small parcel, rail, trucking, ocean, and basically they'll evaluate the invoice, pay it, and basically say to the client, hey, you know, we saved you $50,000 in all modes this month. The reality is that with Ocean, these modes, these pre-auditors have built the modules all around a domestic platform, you know, known as a pro number. And so, you know, it's a very slippery slope because they basically try to plug the Ocean Freight in to a domestic driven type system. And the reality is, is after speaking to CEOs in the pre-audit industry, most really don't pre-audit Ocean invoices. They'll have maybe a truck auditor with experience in Nebraska trying to interpret a very complex ocean move out of India. So I don't recommend pre-audit. As a matter of fact, we at Ocean Audit, the client was $7 million. That was a direct result of auditing the invoices after a pre-auditor. So that's that's one interesting aspect. The other thing, of course, is... I would want a refund from my pre-auditor if that well, thing I, is that. I think they try to. I think they have that built in where they can get some compensation. But the other thing is, of course, Joe, is I think that organically... You know, a CFO can say to a supply chain finance, hey, you know, let's take our SAP data. Let's try to model some way to look at our spend in our contract versus our actual spend. And there are some ways and techniques that I advise my clients, you know, once they've worked with me to help make them more self-sufficient. The problem, again, is getting a resource or a body like you talked about to actually do that kind of work in-house. It's very expensive. And then, of course, the last solution is to look at classic post-audit. But I think one of the things with post-audit, you know, I'm basically a post-auditor and I only specialize in ocean. But I think the majority of post-auditors make their serious money in truck and small parcel. And they'll also accept you as a client for ocean freight. The problem is, again, it's a little bit misleading to a CFO, because if you go through a post audit, the client will say to me, well, Steve, you know, six months ago, we already had post audit or XYZ give us a clean bill of health. And then I have to kind of explain and restate how different ocean is from the other modes and so on and so forth. So it's, I think those are some of the options available right now, Joe, and necessarily not all of them really resonate or fit the right square peg round hole type genres. Right. So those solutions, again, I can pre-audit. We just talked about some of the problems associated with that. I can hire someone in-house, which I suspect some people would want to do that, but it's a very specialized skill. You're going to have to find just the right person and you got to add headcount, which is a challenge. And then the last way is to hire a post-auditor like you. So Steve, how do you work with companies? How do you get paid? How does that work? Well, I've tried to always look at the philosophy of I lived in Europe for many years and, you know, the Europeans have a saying for these types of services, they call it no cure, no pay. And it basically means that if at Ocean Audit, we don't find a solution or recovery or refund for you, I don't charge anything for my services. So my services are 100% billed on contingency, which means that once you get paid, then I'll invoice you a fixed percentage based on what we agree in our audit agreement. So I think it's the best of solutions. 
because it's um, unbudgeted. This is unallocated money, and it's basically dead money that is coming back into the company. So I think in these days, a CFO is best friend. Steve, I'm just curious. So there's got to be some people who use you saying, I'm pretty sure we're clean. And when Steve comes in, he's going to validate that. And when he's done, he's going to say, clean bill of health, congratulations. I don't get paid this week, but good job. <laughs> what well, percent I think, I th- are yeah, in yeah, I that think, category? <laughs> I, I think, you know, it's funny you say that. I, I think in 30 years of doing this, I've written two letters where I've complimented them on their infrastructure because uh-huh. I didn't find anything. So I think it's a pretty safe bet to say that if you meet the right type of requirements in terms of number of containers, annual spend, that I'm going to definitely find five, six, and seven-figure refunds for you. So This is crazy. And I, I work with a lot of shippers and I work with a lot of 3PLs and everybody's always looking for savings. And what you're saying is this is money that's just, it's dead money. You can recover this money. And I know this from my own background. There is there's a problem. I hate this this problem where somebody quotes me for one number, invoices me for another. And I always feel like that should just never happen. But I know it happens a lot in this business. Well, Joe, you know, it's interesting you say that. I have a couple of clients, as a matter of fact, one major retailer that comes to mind right away where the ocean vendor had a $500,000 refund to that retailer. And it kind of bothered the retailer a little bit. You know, they said, hey, you know, we had good controls. You didn't do enough due diligence on your end, Mr. Ocean Carrier to continue to overcharge us. And, you know, we had to have Steve come in and now we've got to pay Steve his fee. The importer said, you know what we'd like to do in addition to the half a million dollar refund, we'd like you to reduce our traffic rate from Shanghai to Chicago, $50 for the next thousand containers. So I think the point I'm trying to make here, Joe, is that good stewards in logistics and supply chain take my findings and find creative ways to use them to enhance the relationship with their vendors. So this happens all the time. I always get asked, well, you know, what do the vendors think of you? Well, it's not so much what they think of me. It's the fact that they've been overcharging my clients, which are also their clients. And I think there's certain clients out there that have found a real tangible ways to use the results of the audit to enhance their communication ability with the vendor. The way I see it, Steve, anytime there's a bad bill, and I say this mostly on the truckload side, anytime there's a bad bill, an LTL truckload or ocean, it speaks to the quality of the service that you're providing. And there's a problem for everybody. It's not universally an easy thing to solve. But if you have really good billing accuracy, you're doing a lot of other things right also. Well, there's no question. And I think one of the problems in freight forwarding right now is that you've got a lot of freight forwarders that are kicking out manual bills not being well quantified and checked. And I would say that probably 75% of ocean freight forwarders out there are putting out some sub-quality, sub-par bills. And really what they're saying to the customer, in effect, de facto, is our invoices are probably not the best. So it's up to you to catch our errors. And I think when we reached that precipice a few years ago, where the invoice error aspect, the ratio error of checking the invoices reverted to the importer or exporter versus the vendor, we reached a really negative point in ocean freight history. Because now it's Katie bar the door, the vendor invoicing quality is really diminished. And the last thing I'll just say on that is you don't have to look very further other than Soren Sko, who is Maersk's CEO, who basically came out at the Trans-Pacific Maritime Conference a few years back and said, hey, we're Maersk line and we're sorry. Our invoice error rate is over 13%. So it's a tragedy, I think, that most importers and exporters are dealing with. 13%. That's nuts. That's nuts. So Steve, 
Give us just a few bullet points on this as a summary. I think the most important thing is trust your carriers, but audit. It's really important to keep the vendor relationships at high levels because you need them and they need you. But the bottom line is that any ocean vendor that works into the USA has a mandate. They have the same rule in the tariff that they set up with the Federal Maritime Commission that says, if you look at your invoices for the past three years and you find a bona fide error, we are legally obligated to pay you for the error. So I think that the one premise that every importer and exporter has is the three-year rule. They have to really be aware that there is recoverable working capital in the historic invoices. And I think the next jump forward on that is when we did Kraft Foods, for example, we found enough savings and recovery in the three years of ocean invoices to not only pay me, but to allow Kraft to have their own TMS system. And they upgraded using the dead ocean money. So I think that there's a strong call out for recovering and using funds. And, you know, I did this the same thing with the Trump tariffs. You know, when, when the 301 tariffs came in, it was a great way to recover audit money from ocean freight to help partially offset those tariffs. Nice, nice. So Steve, let's switch gears here a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your business and tell us about your upcoming podcast or video cast or whatever you're calling it. Oh, sure. I think that Ocean Audit has always been a little bit of a cornerstone building block of single dimension, you know, in the sense that ocean freight recovery is all I do. Of course, I do some logistics and air freight international recovery. So I think that ocean auditing could be considered a little bit of a boring category. But for me, it takes great pride to go in and generate these five and six, seven figure recoveries. I think that I've been privileged to do this through you know, my extensive position on LinkedIn. I have a great network on LinkedIn. I'm one of the, I think, top networkers and social marketing guys on LinkedIn. And I developed um, kind of an alter ego live LinkedIn channel called OK Boomer Live, where I'm a boomer doing business in a millennial and Gen X world. And I think that talking about the trends in ocean freight, logistics, supply chain, social branding, media, sales, marketing, something that helps obviously get me more traction into strategic clients around the world. So that's a little bit of what I'm doing with my uh, social media marketing. I've got a seminar tomorrow. So tell us, what is your LinkedIn profile and your company website? I think you can find me by just Steve Ferreira Ocean Freight. I don't know the exact URL. And the website is oceanaudit.com. I will make sure I put a link to all of these things in the show notes. Oh, thank you. And I love the idea of the OK Boomer as a, I think I'm one of the last year of the boomers. I'm I'm one of the younger boomers. I think you probably are too. And it's funny how this happened, Steve. It didn't seem so long ago that we were the millennials where I remember when we worked, everyone talked about, you know, how lazy we were and stupid we were and how we didn't want. (laughs) And and now it's our turn to say, oh my God, look at these millennials. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm thriving with them. And uh, I just just said, hey, I can't beat them, join them. And I just took a little ironic uh, stab at OK Boom Alive and it's, uh, it's catching on. There's great audience participation and we're getting the same kind of viewership as even someone like Freight Waves TV, which I really respect. Uh, Craig Fuller and his team. But, you know, we're, we're certainly using my social media marketing to the max. And it's fun because it does let clients know a lot about my serious appearances on CNBC or USA Today or Wall Street or Bloomberg or Business Insider. So I've been featured in, in all those publications and national news shows as well. So it's been a great ride. And I think having a specialty like Ocean Freight Recovery, it's amazing because, as I said, I have, a I think, a year head start over anyone that would come in as a competitor. 
Oh, that's this is awesome. And I know, Steve, you said it's a little boring, but if you were to write me a check for like $7 million, I wouldn't think it was boring. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I think that overall, contextually, you know, when you're spending three, four, five hundred million a year and, you know, but again, I, I get your point. And I just think that in a post-COVID-19 environment, we've never been, I've never been more busy. And I see, I see great things for the remainder of 2020 only because clients are unknowingly sitting on a pile of cash. They just don't know how to unlock the tumbler to the safe combination. That's what I have in my secret sauce. Well, that's what you can do for them. Well, Steve, thanks you so much for taking the time to educate us on Ocean Audit. Oh, it's my honor, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, we appreciate your work and your 100,000 plus followers do a great job. (laughs) And I look forward to meeting all of them at some point. (laughs) Thank you so much. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast, your continued support. It's very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. 